what's up, friends? Today's podcast episode is with Dr. Buck Parker. This episode is a little different today. We're taking more of a pod session approach, sort of like the one we did previously with Jamie. Uh, so this episode is really uh, kind of just a laid-back conversation with my friend, Dr. Buck Parker. He's a general and trauma surgeon, and him and I have a little bit in common. We uh, had a similar story with not matching into residency in the official match. So we talked a little bit about that, and it's a question a lot of my followers have and uh, a lot of people that are in medicine have. So there's a little bit of that at the very end of the podcast, the last 10, 15 minutes. So make sure you listen to all of it. There's a lot of, there's some interesting parts in this podcast. I think you guys will really like this one because it's just, uh, you know, getting to know Dr. Buck a little bit about his life, how he got into some of the reality TV things that he does also his experience on the proposal you can hear what that was like for him uh and we also talk about you know some general surgery general surgery kind of stuff so we talk about gallbladders why they're so common why they're so common and why uh we perf- why dr buck performs so many of them so uh if you want to learn a little bit about that also tune in and we're gonna get started also shout out it's pa week well, it's the end of PA week, and by the time you hear this, PA week may be done, but shout out to all the amazing PAs out there. You guys are awesome, uh, and you, uh, I mean, you guys got it good. Happy PA week. So, also interesting fact, if you don't know, Metalita's founder is an emergency medicine PAC, pretty cool person. We're going to be interviewing, actually, the day that this podcast is released, so if you go to Metalita's Instagram account, if you are listening on Monday, October 15th, you will see me on their stories. I'm doing a takeover and we are going to be talking all about uh, behind the scenes of starting a podcast while in residency. So if you want to check out to see a little behind the scenes of what my life is like and what it's like to run a podcast, go to Metalita's Instagram account at Metalita underscore Graham and you can find me over there. All right, let's get into it. Basically, uh, at this point, I only do emergency surgery, and most of general surgery has to do with abdominal surgery, so appendix, gallbladder, small bowel, colon, uh, a little bit of uh, you know stomach and uh, liver and pancreas as well, and then every once in a while, esophagus, mm-hmm. uh, like that. and then a lot of hernias, and then soft tissue infections, like uh, some people have abscesses or... We call necrotizing fasciitis or the uh, flesh-eating bacteria, all those things. Yeah. And then on the yeah. trauma side, we just take care of trauma patients mostly. Um, in, in Utah, there's not a lot of gunshot wounds and stabbings anymore. I was in Detroit for a while, and there's a lot yeah. there. But yeah. mostly here, it's uh, motor vehicle accidents. People you know, have a ruptured spleen, liver, small bowel, colon, uh, a lot of rib fractures. Uh, we work with the neurosurgeons a lot to uh, take care of head injuries, like head bleeds or spinal injuries and, and orthopedic surgeons take care of patients who have hip fractures or long bone fractures and stuff. So that's probably the majority of my practice now. Very cool. You were, uh, I'm from Detroit too. So I was, yes, when I was doing my, I did my rotations at Sinai Grace. Oh, nice. So it was pretty crazy. The stuff we saw there as uh, students, trauma surgery, that, that week I had trauma surgery was pretty insane. Where, uh, what, when were you there? Because I know somebody was there. Uh, so I just graduated last this past uh, year. So I was there for the last two years. Oh, okay, so she was there. She was there before. She was there like five, six years ago. So. Oh, okay. Uh, there's who's there? There's Doctor. I don't. I'm gonna shout these doctors out. I don't know if they're on here, but yeah. there's Doctor Seaman. I don't know if you know her. She's pretty popular over there. I do not know her at, at Sinai Grace. The only one I knew was Doctor Hallinan, and she was. Uh, uh, or uh, her actually named Watchers now. I went to medical school with her, and she uh, ended up going to shock trauma for a fellowship, and then was at Sinai Grace, and then she worked at Henry Ford for a while mm-hmm. after I left. Yeah, yeah, man. The stuff you see there, you won't see anywhere else in the country. I mean, maybe in a couple other places in the country, but it's just crazy. Yeah, crazy, crazy. So you did. How long did you spend in Detroit? Five years. Yeah, I was six years. I did a, a research uh, fellowship as well. Um, we did. Um, it was basically so Henry Ford and NASA had a joint program, and they 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 did like um, research for trauma in 
in space, essentially. Oh. So, so most of it was ultrasound-based because there is an ultrasound on the space station, and so it's like, you know, what kind of things can you teach or, uh, you know, can you teach the astronauts to um, diagnose a head injury with an ultrasound, you know, and uh, over a two-second delay and teaching, you know, like kind of, you know, they don't have a lot of training, and so mm-hmm. what is the minimal training that they need in, in order for them to learn or diagnose uh, injuries and things like that? So it was kind of cool. I got to go on the vomit comment. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> yeah, zero gravity plane to test all those that stuff. I, I did a, a fast exam. We're like one of the only uh, teams that did a fast exam in zero gravity. Well, okay, so for a lot of our listeners don't know the medical terminology, so you oh, got to yeah. explain this. Yeah, so the FAST exam is called, it's a acronym for Focused Abdominal, uh, sorry, Focused Abdominal Sonography and Trauma, which is basically an ultrasound of the belly, and although most of the time we think about an ultrasound, we think of, uh, we're looking at a baby in a pregnant mother, so this is an ultrasound to see if there's any blood in the belly, and so uh, when patients come in and they have some kind of a a blunt abdominal injury and we're concerned that they have a spleen or a liver or small bowel or colon injury mm-hmm. uh, looking for fluid in the belly and so we can uh, we look at four windows for four spots uh, actually three in the belly and then we also look at the heart and uh, to see if there's any uh, fluid in there because there shouldn't be any like free what we call free fluid in the abdomen right. and then well, the other thing we look at is the heart to see if there's any what we call pericardial tamponade and that's like a uh, uh, um, fluid or blood around the heart that is uh, trapped. Uh, there's a sac around the heart, and if blood gets out of the heart and gets into that sac, uh, the the, um, the heart can get kind of trapped and it can't beat very well. And so in trauma, those patients can die very quickly. And so that's one of the things we look at right away uh, to make sure they don't have that. Yeah. So we did it in zero gravity. That's pretty cool. You know what's interesting is you wear you wear a lot of hats, man. So you're you're a surgeon and you're a general surgeon. I didn't know I didn't even know you did the trauma part, but not only that, but you're also plugged into the media a lot. You you've been on multiple uh, uh, news channels and you're also pretty well known on uh, social media. You've been on a couple reality TV shows. Mm-hmm. You were just on what one of them was the proposal, but you were also on one. Before that, right? Yeah, I was on a Bear Grylls show. It was a survival show. Yeah, uh, Bear Grylls is a guy that does a lot of survival stuff. Yeah, I know. Bear Grylls, tons dude, of books. Freaking, and all that stuff. he's the man when it comes to that. Yeah, he's pretty. Yeah, he's a pretty nice guy, really. But um, he wasn't very nice to us. He he stuck us on a, a deserted island for 28 days with no food or water. Uh, there was 14 guys, and um, it was a great experience. It was it was pretty crazy. Essentially, they didn't want any. Um, any like uh, crew out there they just wanted the people that were you know kind of surviving or on the show and so we shot everything with cameras ourselves and then uh, they wanted a medical like triage team and so myself and a paramedic were cast as as on the show as well so that way we took care of the guys make sure like if they had any serious problem we could call a team to oh, come nice. a medical team to evacuate or like you know if they needed uh, actual IV medications and things like that so uh, that was really cool, and that's kind of what started everything. Like I got. So were you? Cast. You were not. You were not actually a cast member. You were, and behind the scenes kind no, of. I but was, you, I was a cast member. Yeah. Oh, so you I were a cast member. Yeah. We did both, and so, so there was a. Yeah, we did. We did both. We were a cast member, but we were also taking care of making sure all the guys were okay. Nice. Um, so how did you? How did you get into that? Where did that? Uh, yeah, I met I met a girl when I was in Florida. I worked in Florida for like two years. I met a girl down there who was just uh, had done TV before. Was always looking at casting stuff, and and she was like, "Hey, there's this there's this uh, show they're casting for, and it seems like it's right up your alley." And they're looking for a doctor and stuff. I was like, "Oh, okay." I looked at it, and it was it's very vague because it was a new show. You can't tell what it is, and yeah. and like just send an email and photo in. I was like, "Send that in and like tell us why you'd be good on the show." And, um, just, you know, after a bunch of interviews, all that stuff, uh, they cast me and I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> like, sounds, sounds fun. Like, you know, it's some, something I like to do things that, you know, they're, they're out of the ordinary that not everybody gets to do yeah. that are different experiences. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to die and, and be like, man, I didn't, I didn't really do anything that was unique or different or that, you know, I, I, I want to have just like, I feel 
experiences in life, you know? So uh, I was like, yeah, sure. What, what the hell? And then like two days before I was like, oh my God, I'm an idiot. What am I doing on this <laughs> survival show? And I, I starved myself for like, uh, you know, 30, 28 days or whatever. Uh, but it was a great experience. It really, you know, makes you appreciate everything that we have. And, was that right uh, out of residency you did that or? Uh, no, that was 2015. I finished residency in 2010. Oh, okay. So yeah, 2015 I did that. And then um, well, that's really what kicked off for me everything else. Um, after that show, I got, that show like got, got uh, played in the United States and then it went all the way, all around the world. So it went to Africa, Philippines, yeah. you know, Asia, all stuff. And then I was getting all of these, uh, at the time, Facebook messages from these people, these kids mostly that were interested in going into medicine and specifically <clears throat> surgery. Like, oh, I saw you on that show and I really want to do this. Like, how do I do it? I'm in Africa, I'm in like wherever, you know? And I was like, oh crap. This is so cool, you know. You're really affecting people, and they were they were inspired not because of like anything I did. I really don't think I did anything that special in that mm-hmm. show, but they just saw somebody that they looked up to, and the guy was a surgeon, and they're like, "Wow, this is cool. Yeah. I want to do that." And you know, reach out. so um, then I started like I pondered that for a little while, like how do I reach these kids, and how do I, um, you know, how, how do I make a bigger impact? Like that, that to me, it was like all of a sudden I was like, wow, I could really make a bigger impact with media. Yeah. And, and you know, at the time it was like TV. So I was like, oh, I want to get another TV show. I tried mm-hmm. that and like, oh, they're like, oh, you're a, you know, dumb reality TV show, whatever, nobody cares and stuff. And, um, and then so I realized, um, well, social media, you can impact a lot of people too. Yeah. And that's, so, that's more of the thing now. It's more so than the yeah. mainstream media. So I was like, okay, well, if these guys aren't going to put me on a TV show, like, why don't I just do social media and see, like, if I can get some traction with that and see if I can, you know, build a, an audience and reach those people out in, you know, all over the world. And so that's kind of what, what has been driving me now and, like, why I keep doing that because um, it's, it's great. I mean, you, should, you probably get it too. Lots of people email yeah. you and message you and ask you questions and you help them and you know yeah social media has been awesome man it's not only that it's like number one like forget linkedin you're on instagram right now that's the best networking tool that you can have you know it's the only reason i've been able to connect with like you or any of the other people that i've had on the podcast so no it's i mean it's been it's been huge it's been uh very eye-opening and very useful you know like you get to connect with other similar people other people in your space i bet you know i don't know if i would have ever started this podcast if i wasn't on instagram right yeah Yeah. there's a lot oh there's lots of stuff i would never be able to do yeah Uh, i mean i got the second tv show because of instagram really oh yeah so now that now so you just did the proposal yeah i just so i did the proposal and uh, a lot of people like criticize what, me. For what is that show basically? I don't even so know. It, I'm not even basically that. Basically, it was it was uh, it was not a great premise, and uh, I did not sign up for the the exactly the premise that it was it, it ended up being. But uh, initially, it was like a dating show, and I was like, oh, I don't really want to do a dating show, but uh, okay. And then uh, it turned out one of the casting agents is one of the major casting agents in Hollywood for a lot of reality TV shows, and. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, look, I don't want to do a dating show really. And she was like, well, if you do this one for me, like, and you're, and you do well, like I can help you with others. I was like, all right, cool. There you so, go. <laughs> and it in, yeah. I was like, all right, well, you know, I can stick it out. Whatever. Fine. I was like, I did general surgery residency for five years. Like I can do this. <laughs> and, uh, and, and then it turned out like at the end, they changed the, like a format and they wanted us to like do an actual proposal for marriage and i was like you guys are crazy i'm not doing that they're like well you don't really have to do it blah blah, blah. did you have, so were there a uh, were there a number did you go on with a girlfriend oh, or yeah. did you so there was, it, it was me and 10 girls right and so every episode yeah i know <laughs> not bad, but, so every episode was one person like a um whatever it is i don't know what you call the suitor or something uh-huh. and then so one episode was a guy and 10 girls and the next episode was a girl and then 10 guys and then so they had 10 episodes of that uh you know uh, one of each whatever five, five girls five guys and then um you know multiple rounds of questions and all that so stuff. is it each one episode each person gets one episode each person got one episode so it was very quick and it was like you know, ask these few questions. You don't know them. 
And then at the end, they're like, oh, do you want to propose? I was like, no, why would I do that? They're like, well, everybody else has done it, you know? And I'm like, well, I don't want to be the only guy. That- has anyone has anyone gotten out of that with like a full-on marriage? Uh, no, no, not yet. There's only one couple. I, there's only one couple I know that is actually still together, so... So, so, so did they anyway. kind of, did they hype you up as the surgeon or what? Yeah, they did. Um, but um, but since then, it, it actually helped because like my main mission is to reach as many kids and and motivate and inspire as many kids to go into medicine as, as I can. Mm-hmm. And that's that's really what what I'm doing this for. And um, you know, I, I do you think, think a lot of people go into it for the wrong reason though? Uh, TV? No, medicine. Oh, medicine. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that I think people do go into it for the wrong reasons. But if you're gonna go into it for the wrong reason, you can still do good, right? Yeah. That's the thing. Like, and and it's all. I I think a lot of people, especially this whole burnout thing right now. Like, everybody's like, oh, you know, doctors are burned out, and it's a terrible uh, job, and blah blah blah. It's all your. It's like your mindset and how you approach everything, really. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, I th- I think that's a a big issue is that people are angry because they did go into it for the wrong reason. Mm-hmm. They are not getting as much money and as much time as they think they should or mm-hmm. they think they're good or whatever. And, uh, they're pissed. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where you run into a lot of like angry doctors because yeah. of that. Uh, See, I so here's my my bit on that. So I thought I was going into med- when I went into medicine, I was expecting you know my uncle's a dentist. He had his own uh, practice, and he I always thought you know when I was done, I was going to go open up my own practice, be an entrepreneur, and yada yada. And I thought that once I got into once I finished medical school or once I finished residency, that was going to be the reality for me. But then as I went through the process of medical school. I saw that uh, all the practice, every private doctor was getting bought out. You know, uh, insurance companies and hospital systems were buying out practices, and it was really hard to kind of still be your own boss in medicine. At least that's what I was hearing from everybody and everyone I talked to. Is like, no, the overhead's too high, and it's yeah. not practical anymore. So I was really discouraged for a little bit, and I was like, "Whoa, I'm not gonna. I don't want to. You know, I want to do my own thing after. I don't want to be working for a hospital or." I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but that was just, this has been my, my That's dream. That's not your deal. Yeah. yeah, it's not my deal, exactly. So for me, it was really hard to kind of readjust and readjust my thought process and figure out, okay, I can still do what I want to do when I'm done. And so, and I, I don't have to do what everybody else is doing, even if it's, you know, if that, yeah. even if that means I have to, you know, take a couple extra years to build it up, that's fine with me, as long as it's like my future is my future and I'm in yeah. control of it. I think uh, I think a lot of people get get boxed in, like you're saying. You know, they're like they they think that there's only one way to do medicine, and you know, for me, um, I'm like that too. Like I, I was like, oh, I want I want to do my own thing, and I actually started my own practice after residency, and it went. I did a terrible job, and it wasn't the right place, and I made a you know the wrong decisions about doing all that. So. Like, um, can I, we talk about I, that or no? Or is it, yeah, sure. I, I uh, so I just, I'm so, I'm really interested because that's what I want to yeah. do when I'm done. Uh, I'm sorry, guys. I, this is getting a little selfish for me, but hopefully you can still, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully like something good will still come out yeah, of it. Yeah. So I, uh, I, I went to a big program. I, I was in a, it was a 900 bed level one um, hospital, and I was burned out, you know. And I was like, I don't want to do a fellowship. I just want to go do general surgery, like simple stuff in a small town. I wanted like my life back. And uh, although there's no real turning back to, you know, your old life, Mm -hmm. but it can be better. Uh, But anyway, I went back. I I opened my own practice. I, like, borrowed money from my parents to do it. Um, And, you know, when you – for us, it's a referral base, you know. Like, you have to get the primary care physicians to refer you cases and stuff. And it was just too small of a town. There was a couple guys there already. I did a good job, but – because there was one major guy, one guy that had been there for 20 years that nobody's really returning their, you know, practice over. Like they've been friends with this, this general surgeon for a really long time and they were comfortable and they knew mm-hmm. they got certain results for the patients. And so you have a young kid come in they're like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to, you know, send any patients to you. So I, I did okay, but it wasn't like, I mean, it wasn't like a regular doctor's uh, yeah. salary whatsoever. 
And so um, after about two to three years, I was like, man, I, I got to really do something because I was falling behind, you know? Right. So I, I, hated, I hated it, but I took a regular employed job. Mm-hmm. And I moved to Florida, away from my family, away from my friends, because I moved to my home, my hometown after residency, to do this. And um, uh, it was really tough. Where was your Where is that? Where is your hometown? Uh, I was in Wyoming. Okay. So I'm from uh, Jackson, Wyoming, and uh, it was really tough. But it was probably the best thing I ever did. Um, I got, uh, you know. It, you should be busy after residency. Like I think it's a good it's a good idea, mm-hmm. and also have some mentors. You know, yeah. It really, I think all I think in medicine, your entire career you should probably have mentors unless you're like ready to retire. You know. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> you're close to retirement. So I moved, I went to a different practice. Um, I went to an employed position in a, a group with a lot of uh, other general surgeons, trauma surgeons who were staggering in experience and age and all that stuff, and that really really helped a lot. I um, you know, one of the things about being fulfilled is like becoming kind of a, an expert in, a, in something. I, th- I think that really helps. And when I wasn't that busy, I, I started feeling bad and like, like I'm not doing, mm-hmm. like I'm not, you know, improving my life and stuff. And then when you start to get busy, like you, you're getting better and you're, mm-hmm. you know, surgeries are smoother and you're getting so good. And like you build that up and you start feeling better and better about yourself and, you're doing better and you're happier and all that stuff. And so that was like the best thing I ever did. And then um, I, the same company uh, had another job in Salt Lake City and I transferred here just because I liked the yeah. snow and skiing and stuff like that. So Yeah, man, you guys got, you have some nice, you have some nice scenery over there. Yeah, it's pretty, it's great. Is it, not, is it a nice place to live? I, one of my buddies is doing residency over there. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's a very low cost of living uh, comparatively to a lot of other uh, bigger cities. It's a, you know, it's it's about a million people, so it's not huge. If you're somebody that loves the city, uh, it's it's not like it's not big, but it's not mm-hmm. small either. Um, it's got good access to the um, to mountain ski resorts. I'm big into skiing, and so I, there's like five ski resorts within 25 to 30 minutes of my house. Nice. So it's it's, it's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. I was gonna ask you something. If you could, if like, if you could go back to just starting that practice, what would you have done? If there's like one or two things you could have done differently, what would they have been? Uh, I think I picked the wrong. I, I think I picked a too small of a place. Okay. Because the 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 population there is not very big, and it doesn't support that many general surgeons. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in honesty, if you look back, I think that 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 hospital should support about. One and a half surgeons, but in order to take call and cover call, no, nobody wants to take a, uh, half of the year, mm, right? Okay. Uh, and call, and so they had more more surgeons. Yeah. But if you have three surgeons there, nobody's really that busy. Oh, okay. There's oh, but there was one guy getting all the referrals, and then I actually <laughs> actually put one of the guys out of business when I moved there. He was like, "I'm gonna retire because I don't have any business left." You took the rest of it because <laughs> he was a real jerk. And as soon as you like, they just they just needed somebody else to fill it in, and like I was there, and so they were like, "Forget it, we're not gonna send anything to this guy because he's a jerk." And anyway, so um, it just wasn't enough. Um, I, I, so the other thing I would do is make sure you have somebody that is is a mentor for you that's like 10 years or 20 years ahead of your game yeah and so and that is doing what you want to do already yeah like yeah. that's very very important I think that fills I think that shortens your learning uh, curve a yeah. lot just like Definitely. you have your attendings in uh, residency like you still need that yeah when you're out, you know, yeah that's what I, I've been trying to do that with a lot of direct primary care docs you heard of direct primary care? I, I talk about it all no. the time on this. So it's basically a membership-based practice. Okay. So it's kind of like concierge, but affordable for. I mean, it's meant for everyday people. It doesn't have to be for Beverly Hills, you know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so it's like this growing movement in primary care where it's like you do, you pay a monthly fee every month. You don't. Uh, there's essentially no insurance. Uh, I mean, you can still you can still take insurance or bill insurance, but it's not based on out of insurance. So you have a very low overhead. You have like one MA and a scheduler, and that's all you need in a, a nice little, you know, office, and you're all set. And so uh, a lot of docs have been doing this, and it's become pretty popular because you only need 
probably a quarter of the amount of patients you would see in a regular insurance-based practice to be successful. And there's room for scalability. So you can add uh, physicians to your practice. And that's what this one guy, actually from Detroit, who's uh, doing this, he's been in the headlines quite a bit recently. So it's it's cool. I'm, I've been super interested in that. I've been talking to people that have been doing it. Because by the time I'm done, I want to at least know where I'm diving in and your options. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's great. It's it's so, like I am so happy that people start doing that because you know the insurance companies just are so difficult to deal with. That was the other issue that I. Is had. it difficult with insurance? Like for I know primary care is like just one stroke. I don't know what it's like on the surgery side. Yeah, it was really diff- it was difficult because um, you know nobody. Like it's just a game, you know. It's it's like a game to them. They had and it's not. It wasn't a game to me because I, yeah. like, you know, was was doing all this work and then not getting paid for like nine months, you know, eighteen months sometimes. And, really? You know, it's like I can't I can't do that. They okay. make you jump through hoops to to get yeah. paid, right? Yeah, and then if you don't have professional billers working for you, then you know it's another layer of uh, difficulty. Hmm. And so I had like myself and um, uh, an assistant. And that was it. And so we kind of did the billing together. And I was new, and she she had been doing it for a long time, but still, you know, it's still not like she still wasn't a professional biller. Yeah. So it's a difficult thing. It's kind of a bummer. And so it's all it's awesome to have the insurance company removed from that because it's like, listen, yeah. you you guys don't you know you guys just screw everything up. Like you get in between the patient and the doctor, yeah. make it everything a mess. The patient gets mad at the doctor. The doctor's mad at the insurance company. You know, yeah. like, but it's if you just take them out, like, it's a great relationship. You know, so yeah, man, I've, this is something I've been so like, it's so frustrated by because it just when I when I worked with the doctors I was working with, they were all burnt out and frustrated because of this, yeah. and just a lot of them were really cynical. Uh, but it's just. Man, I was like, I don't want to be that doctor. Like, I just was seeing all these guys that were just really fed up, like, with all the things they had to deal with with insurance, pre-op, yeah. and all that. And I was like, I don't want to be that guy. So okay, I had, here's, yeah. so here's my here's my solution. Here's my solution for people that that have, that can that see the vision and um, are up to it. And this is what I see: is you know Michael Jordan, right? Mm-hmm. All right, so Michael Jordan was an amazing basketball player, and everyone loved him, and blah, blah, blah. And he got, like, since, because he was so good, um, and he had, like, basically the ears and eyes of the people, he would get sponsorships, right? And he made more than sponsorships than he made playing basketball. Mm -hmm. So in the world of social media, um, I think that physicians are the superstars of you know, of medicine. Mm-hmm. And if, if you do a good job in social media, you teach people, uh, you provide them with awesome content, whether that's being teaching them about health and fitness and all that, or just, or hypertension or diabetes or whatever, and you do a good job and people like you and you build a big following, why can't you go to a hospital and say, look, um, you know, I have, uh, these people, where do you want them to go? Where do you want them to buy their insurance? Where do you want them to, like, purchase or you know show up to the ER? Because you know those people listen to the superstars of the industry. So one of my kind of goals is to do that is to to get the physician back in control of yeah. uh, uh, of medicine instead of like the administrators or the insurance companies and stuff because. Yeah. We're the ones that do the work. We're the ones that take care of the patients. Mm-hmm. So why shouldn't we have a bigger... And I think it helps us get leverage. It helps us yeah. have a voice again, yeah. which we've kind of lost. You know? yeah. so. Man, I've never thought about it like that, but that's super... That's very, very interesting. You have a huge point with that, definitely. Uh, I just That's such a good analogy, though. So here's the thing. What, what I was, That's kind of what what frustrated me the most was because I felt like we were essentially becoming laborers and uh, you know like these big administrators are just like ha 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 and at us from their <laughs> yeah. from their suites with all their cash falling out of their pockets and so I'm like what on earth where did where did how did this turn out to be like this yeah. you know 20 years ago 80% of doctors were private practice and 
not only that, the whole concept of insurance is all wrong in just medicine. You know, nowhere else is med- in any market, which medicine is a market, nowhere else in any market is insurance the just the just controlling everything you know insurance insurance was meant to cover catastrophes and we're using it and i taught i use this analogy with like the car you know you when you get car insurance you're they cover you for when you get into a really bad accident not when you're getting an oil change or when you're getting a car tire alignment or when you're you know yeah yeah, because and this but we with with medicine we do it we we encompass it in everything like when you want to get your blood work done or your your yeah. blood pressure you want to go for a regular visit it's it's yeah. not there's no uh, there's no free market there's no and there, there's it's no wonder that it's so expensive because we just order whatever we want we're like yeah take we'll order this and that and this MRI and whatever you want yeah come back next time and. It's it, because there's no market. There's no incentive to control the cost. We're not gonna. We're not gonna get to the bottom of things. Yeah. So there's a lot of problems with it, um, and it's a bummer because the patient gets kind of like the yeah the wrong end there in the stick, which it really sucks bad. So I don't know. Yeah, man. So that's that'll be one of my goals. Uh, so where are you working at now? Are you just are you? Working uh, I work at St. Mark's Hospital in in Salt Lake City. Okay, and you're so you're and are you? Partially employed, fully employed by the hospital. Well, uh, so I have, yeah, I actually have two full-time jobs. <laughs> I work at St. Mark's. Um, uh, so what, how they how they work? This this company is actually called MCare, or actually Vision Bottom, but but essentially it's like a hospitalist type of work schedule. Okay. And uh, you work uh, full-time employees, 15 shifts per month. Uh, sometimes I work more than that. Sometimes uh, around 15. And then I also work uh, for a different company who um, I work at a different hospital just north of the city. Um, about the same. Uh, yeah, about the same. Maybe, maybe a little less for them. So uh, it's just a different – it's a different hospital, different system, and so I, it's a different company. Yeah. How does your schedule – how do you like your schedule work like that? Uh, yeah, sometimes it's it's okay. Uh some some months are good. Some months are like you know I way overextend myself and mm-hmm. working every day and stuff like that. So cool. But but that's that like hospitals the, the kind of model is pretty good because you can essentially as a general surgeon do a full time schedule almost two weeks a month you know and then have which is kind of what I do uh, but I do do it twice. Hey guys, thank you for tuning into the podcast. We're gonna just take a second to talk about. This great promotion from our sponsor, Metalita. They know what it's like to have a hectic schedule and not very much free time. That is why they are offering a free at-home try-on. So if you're not 100% sure of your size or your style, you can easily order multiple things from their website at metalita.com. You can try them on at the comfort of your own home. You can keep what you like, return what you don't like, or if you want something embroidered, you can have it sent back to get it embroidered. This is all done with shipping covered by Metalita, and this is 100% risk-free. You can also get an additional 20% off by using the discount code Beyond Medicine 20. Now, back to the episode. Cool. So I, I think we'll get into a, a little bit of kind of your expertise, and uh, I was thinking we talk about gallbladders because, <laughs> as you know, probably you get a, yeah you get a ton of them and. Uh, for our audience, you know, this podcast is all about bringing on experts and, uh, you know, kind of like helping them understand a little bit more about certain things related to medicine. So I thought gallbladders were pretty interesting uh, when I did my, I just did a, uh, a surgery rotation and we'd have at least two a day. <laughs> Why is it so common? <laughs> Why is everybody uh, yeah. getting their gallbladders removed? Well, um, I I think probably the most the, the best answer is because uh, we meet, eat American food. <laughs> so mm-hmm. essentially, you know, gall, gallbladder um, holds and stores and concentrates bile, and the bile. Uh, what the problem with it? When we, when we have a problem with the gallbladder. It's because they form stones inside the gallbladder, mm-hmm. and the gallbladder is like a little muscular bag. And what happens is when you eat, 
it's, it squeezes uh, the muscle to shoot the bile out to mix with the food. Mm-hmm. But if the... Why does the bile... Uh, that, why do we need to mix the bile with the food? True. Yeah, the bile is a, is a liquid that is made by the liver and actually stored in the, in the uh, gallbladder. The gallbladder doesn't make the bile. Mm-hmm. But it's stored there and it's concentrated um, and it helps you digest our, our fats in our food. Okay. And so... Um, what what ends up happening is the liquid gets concentrated down into a solid, and the solid ends up being like a little stone. And they can be, you know, kind of like grains of sand where they just kind of clog the pipes, or they can be stones that are, you know, uh, multiple stones in the gallbladder, or it could be like a giant stone that fills the entire gallbladder and it can't ever get out. And so what the issue with that is then um, the uh, stones will then block the uh, the pipes going from the gallbladder to the uh, bowels where it mixes with the food. And then since it's like a muscular bag, it tries to squeeze and it, it squeezes against this obstruction and you start getting pain and stuff. If the, uh, it, it, and there's lots of different kind of ways this can manifest. And sometimes it's just a, some people think it's like gas pain or something. It's mostly in what we call the right upper quadrant of the, of the abdomen or maybe kind of underneath the right side of the ribs in the front and sometimes it wraps around in the back and and even you have some shoulder pain so what we call referred pain um, uh, because of the, the location of the gallbladder lays kind of on the diaphragm and those nerves kind of run through mm-hmm. uh, essentially the shoulder and stuff so um, basically uh, there's a, a few different uh, it's like a continuum you want to say and on on one side of the continuum continuum is the, the the stone gets stuck every once in a while, and then the gallbladder squeezes really hard. It gets kicked out, and you're totally fine. And you have this uh, belly pain that you think is gas pain. It completely goes away, so you never go in and see anybody. Um, that can go on for several years. Actually, one of my friends, I took her gallbladder out, and uh, she realized after that she had 10, 10 years of abdominal pain that was completely gone all of a sudden. Oh, wow. And uh, she was like, oh, I just thought that was uh, gas pain, but really that was uh, my gallbladder. <laughs> like, yeah. And, and, uh, or, or the stone can get stuck in the pipes and never come out. And then people, that's when people usually come into the ER uh, in the middle of the night, they have this really bad uh, right upper quadrant pain that never goes away, maybe nausea and vomiting. Um, and uh, it can even get infected because those pipes do have some <clears throat> some bacteria in them. And so if, if the bacteria is not allowed to kind of get flushed out, that can infect the gallbladder. If the gallbladder, when the, when the gallbladder gets blocked, it can swell up really big and then it's, it can even cut its own blood supply off and then it can become gangrenous or, mm-hmm. or start the wall starts to die and then you can get really, really sick from that. So that's a very uh, small amount of people that, that have that happen, but most people are in the, the region of, you know, every once in a while it gets stuck and, it, and then sometimes it, all of a sudden it doesn't come out and it's really painful and they come in within, mm-hmm. you know, within 24 hours or something like that, so... You think you think the reason that we have so much of it? I mean, do you think it's just been increasingly increasing every single year? And is that because of our you know our fast food culture? Or? Uh, I do. Yeah. Um, there's. Uh, I, I think that's the major issue with it. Um, some people do have a predisposition to have kind of like an imbalance in the cholesterol. So essentially, the cholesterol precipitates out. Um, of the liquid and it becomes a solid. Okay. Uh, but some people have an imbalance due to genetics, but most most of the time it's because uh, we just eat too many hamburgers and french fries and fried food and mm-hmm. stuff like that. We have, have this imbalance in, in of cholesterol in the bile. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily, it doesn't mean you have cholesterol, high cholesterol. Uh, people that that have gallbladder problems don't always have high cholesterol. Some of them do, but some of them, uh, a lot of them don't. Mm-hmm. Why is it so much more common in women? Like, especially uh, like, think, you know, we know that fat yeah. 40 in female. Yeah. Those are like the three things that's that, that that's we're like taught for medical care. school. It's just because of the, horm- the hormone difference in women. Okay. Uh, so the, uh, of the estrogen progesterone, uh, it just predisposes those women to have uh, higher cholesterol uh, in the bile. Mm, okay nice and so you guys so once you remove it once you take it out symptoms start to get better immediately or does it take some time yeah no they get they get better immediately obviously you trade the incisional pain that you, you have for uh, for the gallbladder pain over the first couple you know two to three days 
But then uh, typically right after uh, the patient has a surgery, that, that gallbladder pain is completely gone. Mm-hmm. Is there, are there any ways, you know, like let's say someone's starting to get these symptoms, uh, you know, that are suspicious for, for, uh, for gallstones and are there, is there anything that can be done without surgery that could help someone get through that? Or is, is surgery eventually going to be needed? Like if they cleaned up their diet and started reducing the fats? Yeah. uh, Well, um, so the people that make, so first of all, uh, not everybody that has gallstones actually needs surgery for it. Not everybody that right because we, we see them on we see them on scans all the time, right? Yeah. So about twenty percent of America has have has gallstones. About twenty percent of those people actually have a problem with them, right? So um, unless you have symptoms from the gallstones, we don't recommend you take them out, even if you go in to, for something else right. and they realize you have gallstones. There's a couple caveats to that. Like, if the gallstone is big enough, if it's like over one centimeter, then you should have it removed, which is like a higher risk for cancer. But uh, typically, uh, if somebody just has gallstones, they don't have any problems from it, then we don't recommend that they have surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, like, if somebody had symptoms though, had the gallstones and had yeah. symptoms, could they uh, get totally by without yeah. without doing surgery? Anything we can do. Yeah. Um, if they have symptoms, usually uh, there is re- there's really not anything you can do. There is the lithotripsy, and some people talk about that as like, break, can I break up the gallstones? And the answer is yes, you can break up the gallstones. However, your body is probably going to make more. Mm-hmm. Unless you completely change your diet, um, and even then we're not sure that that will work. Um, we kind of we kind of say like if you know your gallbladder makes gallstones, it's you're going to break them up and there it's going to make some more, mm-hmm. and so that's why um, we usually recommend surgery. And the surgery is pretty benign. I mean, it's not obviously there's always risk to surgery, but as far as surgeries go, it's very very low risk. Mm-hmm. We do a laparoscopic. It's just four little tiny, uh, like five millimeter incisions. Uh, we usually I usually do like a one twelve millimeter incision and then three five millimeter incisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, typically takes less than an hour, and it can be done on an outpatient basis unless it's an emergency type of situation. Mm-hmm. In that case, most people stay less than twenty four hours. Every once in a while, they stay a little bit more than that, but but that's about it. So it's a very like low risk operation. It's a, it's a great outcome because. Typically, those patients are really, you know, in a lot of pain, and as soon as you get that out, they feel great, and they can even eat the same day of the surgery after, uh, so they do very well. So that's that's why it's a, you know, the risk benefit profile is very good mm-hmm. for that problem. Yeah. Are you doing Are you doing like a liver reduction before the treatment? I know this one surgeon I worked with; he was doing liver reduction diets a couple weeks before the surgery just to shrink it. Um, I don't uh, tip well so for me I don't do any really elective surgery anymore mm-hmm. and so mo- all of my patients are come through the emergency department and they oh, have okay pain. and we just see them and say you know what we're here you're here let's just do it get, gotcha. get it done with um, we found that about uh, some some uh, centers will bring you in and, and say okay you have gallstones like you go follow up with your surgeon and then have it done electively as long as the pain goes away. Mm-hmm. We found about 25 to 30% of those patients never make it to their elective surgery because they have another attack. And so they come back in. And so if you're like a hospital and you're thinking, well, I wanna, I wanna make sure that my patients are satisfied and they stay within our system, and, then, and you send, it, send them home and they have another attack, they might go to another hospital because they're like, hey, these guys didn't take care of me last time. That's I'm interesting. I'm gonna go somewhere else who's gonna take care of me. So, Mm-hmm. So we just try to take care of everybody, uh, as, and we give them that option. Obviously, you know they don't have to do that if yeah. they have something going on, but we certainly try and offer that. Oh, that's really interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, at our uh, where I'm at right now, it's mostly all elective. Mm-hmm. It be also because it's more a little bit more rural. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, man. So the, it's diff- it is difficult to do that if you have you know one surgeon on for like five days in a row and. And you know, patients are coming in the middle of the night, and the guy's like, "Hey, I got clinic, and I got this, and I'm blah, 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 I'm busy." Mm-hmm. 
And so that's another reason. But our model of surgery is that we don't do, we only do a half a day of clinic one, one day a week. Oh, gotcha. And then, um, so, so we don't have clinic, we don't have elective surgeries that frees us up to do these, these uh, kind of like urgent emergent surgeries all the time. Mm. So tip, our typical scenario is that patients come in either in the daytime or at night and we say, okay, well, you're here, we're here, let's go ahead and do the surgery. They come in at two o'clock in the morning, usually you don't need to do it right away, but you can do it, you can put them on antibiotics, cool them off a little bit, and then do it that uh, within 24 hours. And, and that's uh, usually what we do. What are what are you most interested in right now, I guess, in surgery or what you're doing for patients? What's kind of like the most interesting thing? Just most recently, like if you could pick one thing, what is it? Um, I do like, uh, I, I, um, I don't know about most interesting, but I really enjoy laparoscopy and how it's, you know, minimally invasive and it decreases the pain so much and all that stuff. And so I'm trying to push myself to do more and more safely, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, laparoscopic surgery. So small bowel resections, uh, colons, uh, obviously gallbladders, all the hernias, most of the hernias I do uh, try and do laparoscopically, like the inguinal hernias and all that stuff. And, and so um, I think uh, that it's such a great um it's such a great alternative to having a big incision and lots yeah. of pain. Yeah. Uh, you know, that sometimes decrease your hospital stay from five days down to 24 hours with that. Yeah. Yeah. They're so it's really cool. awesome. I think it's great. Um, I'm actually working with uh, university of Utah right now to try and develop, uh, improved laparoscopic, uh, technique, not, not techniques, but the, the actual scope itself. Nice. So I think, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, kind of cumbersome. It's very old and stuff. And so, and working with them to try and revise it and kind of bring it up to date. Yeah. Very cool. I don't know. So our, our audience is a little bit mixed with people who are, we're trying to help people learn a little bit more about their bodies and health and medicine. And we also have people in the medical profession who are listening. And so, uh, I guess I just wanted to share something that I spoke with you about a little bit earlier in the year. And this is kind of more like just like anybody could be motivated by this, but for people who don't know your story, you and I have a bit of a similar story. Uh, so for me, I just recently, this past year, I didn't end up matching into residency through the match. And I've been, I was pretty open about it through my social media because, you know, uh, I think I was the only person on social media to post that we are sorry you did not match on my actual <laughs> Instagram feed. Uh while everybody was posting uh we match and so i was like you know what f this i'm posting it and uh you know people need to know that it's not you know it doesn't work out for everybody so yeah uh so i did that and then i ended up somebody actually messaged me and like hey uh you know dr buck uh actually had a similar experience you should reach out to him so i did that i reached out to you and i was like hey man you know this happened kind of stuck i don't know what to do i just invested two hundred fifty thousand dollars into medical school and now i don't have a job so uh <laughs> i was kind of stressed out about that for a little bit and uh you, so you told me a little bit about your story you know like you didn't end up matching also right out of medical school and then you ended up snagging a spot as well uh my story was that i ended up so what i ended up doing was that i basically made a list of every uh, residency. So I actually applied to a decently competitive residency, which was physical medicine and rehab. Yeah. And I wanted to do sports medicine, but I also had uh, family medicine on my mind because I saw that as a way to do sports medicine as well, which actually, in the, looking back now, ended up working out perfectly for me. Uh, but I had to call essentially almost four, to, four or five hundred programs across the country until I finally found one with an open spot and I matched, and I just kind of did it going down the list of where I wanted to live and ranked them. Like, you know, I started in California, then Washington, and then New York, and then until I finally ended up in Pennsylvania, <laughs> which is number 400. But <laughs> actually, do it, man. Don't give up. That's it. What was your What was your story with that? Yeah, I uh, <clears throat> I interviewed. Uh, I wanted to do surgery. I didn't. I honestly didn't go to med- medical school for any other reason but uh, to go into surgery, and so. Um, I uh, got a lot of interviews. I got about 20-something interviews. I went to about 17, 18 interviews, um, and I had some pretty good programs on there. Um, UMKC in Kansas City. Uh, I had Henry Ford. Um, I went to uh, Creighton. I got interviewed at Creighton. I got interviewed in um, Maricopa and uh, Phoenix and stuff like that. And so 
Um, uh, and then I interviewed actually at the place where I did my surgery rotation, which was in St. Agnes in, um, in Baltimore. And uh, St. Agnes said, hey, if you put us number one, like, well, right, we'll yeah. take you. They, they, t- they match two, and they're like, we love you. You did a great job, blah, 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 all this stuff. And so, like, just put us down. I was like, okay. Um, and I interviewed at Henry Ford and, like, a couple other places, and I was like, man, I really want a big program. I want an academic uh, program. And, and uh, I was like, oh, I did real well on my USMLE, and I'm going to do, like, I'm going to get a bigger program. I'm better than that, right? <laughs> And so I did not, and I knew that if I put St. Agnes down and I didn't get these other programs, then I would match there. And I was a little bit scared about that. And it, I don't know, maybe it was a self-sabotage deal, but I did that and then I didn't match at all with the rest of them. But I did interview with all of them. And um, so I went back and I actually asked the residents at St. Agnes, and they first said, uh, first of all, you're an idiot because nobody does that and not put a program down that you know you'll match at. Uh, and secondly, here's uh, a couple of resources to go check and see who has open programs. And there's like a website, it's like ADP, APDS, American Program Directors, something like that. And so I went there and um, I found that uh, Henry Ford had an opening. They, had, they, have, um, they, they do prelim spots. And a couple other places I uh, found that had prelim spots, and so I applied to them, and and I I had actually had like three places that were ready to take me as mm-hmm. a prelim, and but Henry Ford was one of them, and I had already interviewed there, and I knew it was a good program and stuff, and so I took that, um, and then uh, you know my my mission at that point was I was I was only guaranteed one year. I had to go back and reapply to the match. So I had, as a as a first year intern, I went through the match again. Okay. And I got interviews, and I interviewed again, and I took all of my vacation and all of my money that I made, and I just went out and uh, interviewed again, and it really sucked. But uh, and then I studied my butt off as as best I could for um, the uh, in service exam, and I did. Um, by the time the in-service exam was back, uh, the, I had already had to submit my match uh, ranking list or whatever. And then uh, when the in-service exam came back, I got the best score in the in my class. And so they're like, "Oh, we'll keep you for you know the five years. We'll promise you five years." And so I was like, "Okay, cool." And then I withdrew from the match, even though I had interviewed and spent all my money and spent yeah. all my present uh, vacations. Like so they made you wait till you spent all the money. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but they didn't. They didn't want to make a de- well. They just didn't want to make a decision until until they, they were sure to see see how I performed and mm-hmm. and that like I was doing well. Uh, and they said like, well, you're doing good, but you're, you know, you're, you're not anything special. They actually told me you're not anything special for somebody that doesn't have a job next year. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but then when I, when I got that score back, they were like, okay, you know, like you did a good job. We we're just kind of torturing yeah. you a little bit. You got, you got a really good score. We'll keep you. I was like, all right. Nice. So. Nice. So you had to, so you had to do basically, you had to put in your own hustle basically after that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it always is. It always comes down to that, man, you know? Um, I, I think a lot like, of people, a lot of people, will argue with me about the. DNA there's no way. guidelines for this. There's no. What's that? There's no guidelines for this. You know, no like you got. Yeah. yeah, you got to figure this out, and you got to just hustle and figure out how to hustle more than everybody else. Yeah. It's it's all that, and it, you know, all of life is that really. Um, you know, you you. It's a lot of hustle, and it's a lot of like just being a good person and and doing your best, and you know, not trying to like cut corners and all that stuff, and. Mm-hmm. There's a Dale Carnegie quote uh, from the school of business, and it's like uh, how to win friends and influence people. Uh, oh, that- I, I don't, I don't think it's a book, but it's like 75% of your income is directly related to how much people like you, and only 15% or 25% is due to um, due to uh, your technical skill. Right? Yeah, the things you I learn. believe it. I believe it for sure. Yeah, and so. Like when I read that, I was like, God, that just makes so much sense, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's just a lot of, uh, I mean, you have to do the work. That's like the foundation or the base layer. You just have, everybody's got to do that. Yeah. And then on top of that, it's like, you know, do you treat other people well? Do you 
are, are you a good person? Like, are you just a jerk to everybody? Are you trying to cut corners or you're like putting in all the work and being honest and like being yeah. like, okay, I'll take the, the long, the long road, even though it's yeah. like, kind of, you know, tough. Yeah. That's it. For, for me, uh, when it happened, you know, like I had so many people telling me like, you know, like everybody had accepted the fact that I was going to have to wait till the next year to match. And for me, like that wasn't even in my mind, like that wasn't going to happen. I was like, no, 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 no. I'm matching this year. I'm finding a spot. I don't care where it is. And like, even like the mentors that my counselors were telling me to talk to, when I talked to them, I'd end up getting depressed because they were like, all right, you got to you gotta get a job. You got to do think about doing a master's. And every time I talked to them, I'd want to shut the phone because I'm like, listen, this is not my plan. <laughs> so I'm, I'm finding a spot somewhere. I don't care where it is. I'm going to do my... And I luckily, I didn't listen to anybody. And I did my own thing. I called, I made a list of every program that, basically every program in every state that I wanted to go to, went down the list cold calling every single program, got a million no's. It was actually pretty depressing and miserable when you get rejected that many times. But I was like, listen, like, you know, like after like 50, I got one maybe. So I figured, you know, like this is a numbers game. If I call enough, somebody's going to say, yeah, I'm going to, it's just a matter of time. I don't know who it's going to be. So I just kept that in my mind. So I think like around 300, I got a yes. And then I sent him my application and then I got a no. And, (laughs) but it wasn't because of my application. It was because they already had somebody lined up for that spot. And then, so I think around 400, I finally got somebody in Washington, like around Seattle, say hey you know no but we know somebody who's maybe a yes and so they referred me to this program out here in Pittsburgh and then I called them they had a spot and then they were interviewing people just a couple of days after that so I had made it just right in time and then uh ended up you know ended up being a good match for the both of us and you know like I, I'm, I'm happy I love what I'm doing right now I love the people I'm working with uh, I get my weekends off most of the time and I get to do this podcast. So like worked out perfect. Dude, that's awesome, man. That I, I cannot tell you, uh, how much respect I have for that. That is so hard. Most people, it was miserable. I was like, I was like a borderline delusional. Yeah. Uh, I mean, most people would just quit and be like, give up and be like, you know what? Yeah. I just got to listen to everybody else. Everyone told me that I can't do it. Blah, blah, blah. But that's what, you know, like, that's what sets you apart. That's what makes you, you know, the 1% or the 2% or whatever you want to call it, you know, the top 10%. Uh, that people just don't give up and they like, you got to believe in yourself. That's, that's it, man. You know, I mean, I, 400, 400 is just, 400 no's is just, that would crush anybody. And for yeah. you to, I saved all the emails that so too. That's just calls. That's not including the 200 emails that I sent. Yeah, that is so amazing, man. Good, good for you. It was like just, it, it was honestly, it was borderline delusional, and it was borderline, it was borderline. Like, I'm just, if I don't match, I'm moving to California, and I'm gonna do a research year there, and I'm gonna figure yeah. things out. But I'm not gonna do that unless like I exhaust this and give it like absolutely 100 percent, because then I'll go, I'll move on comfortably. I'll know I've done everything I could. Yeah, that's. Um, that show, it just shows how much character you have. Like that's awesome. Oh, thanks, man. Thank yeah. you. I appreciate that. So my my point in sharing that was, I know that match season is going to come up. So maybe one that does happen, uh, I'll kind of refer people back to this talk so they can take a listen and maybe not, you know, maybe not give up uh, too soon or not take it as. I took it really hard when I didn't match, even though yeah. I should have. I should have known. You know, I didn't have, I didn't have, the, I didn't have eighteen interviews like you did or anything like that. I had, I knew like I was applying to a decently competitive specialty and that my, you know, I was not like the stellar applicant, although I did have other things that definitely set me apart, but not the stellar applicant. And so I kind of was expecting it. So I shouldn't have been so crushed, but kind of was. Yeah. It's tough. I mean, I was, I, yeah, it hurt too. And I was like, oh man, this is why You think I it's the end of the world too. Yeah. It's really, it's really, really hard. Yeah. But I, um, one other girl actually called me same thing during the match season and she didn't match and she wanted to go into emergency medicine and she only tried emergency medicine and she didn't match so i was like just find these programs go to these you know places blah blah blah. 
Um, and then she, she got a spot, and she's so happy. But. Yeah, yeah, man, it all works out. What I realized is that, man, it really does all work out if you can, I mean, you know, where you go is where your life's going to unfold. I, I I don't know where I heard that. Like, I think it was a podcast I was listening to, and I was like, you know what? It's kind of right, you know. This is where, you know, I'm in Pittsburgh now, and my life's going to unfold here. Maybe I meet a girl in Pittsburgh, and I get married. Or hope she, hopefully she's cute. <laughs> <laughs> that helps. That helps. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, man, this is where your life unfolds. I kind of like just look at it like that, and that's a it's a good way to look at things. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Doctor Block, you the man. Uh, where can people connect with you? Uh, just Instagram is probably the easiest place. It's at Doctor Buck Parker, D R B U C K P A R K E R. Also, I'm on YouTube. You can just type my name in there and okay. find on YouTube pretty easy. And any med students who are struggling, I, I saw that you had this course out. Um, that's pretty cool. I actually checked it out a little bit. It's really interesting. What What are you uh, What are you trying to do with that? Yeah, the, I I uh, had a tough time studying when I was in high school and early college, and thought I was stupid, and just realized that I wasn't stupid after a while. Somebody taught me how to study like correctly, and so I get a lot of this same thing. Like, what do I do? How do I become a doctor? I'm doing really bad. Blah blah. blah. And so I just put all my study, like the things that I think are really important to be to be able to become a doctor and get into med school and study, you know, enough to get into med school and how to study correctly. So I just put all that stuff. It's a, basically me talking in front of my desk just like this, all my uh, advice. And um, yeah, it's been, it's been really great. So awesome. Where can people find that? Uh, I have that. It's at secretstudyhacks.com. Uh, here, I think I think I have it on my YouTube and uh, and Instagram as well. Awesome. And I like to ask each of our guests at the end of the podcast what Beyond Medicine means to them. So if you could, if you when you th- when you hear the word Beyond Medicine, where you think of it, what is it? What is it kind of? What comes to thought? Well, I think you know we're we're people, right? And we're humans, and I think uh, there's medicine and, and taking care of patients and doing you know replacing potassium and all that good stuff but then all but also we are humans and you know i think it's very very important for physicians to also connect with your patients just as on a human to human basis uh so i think that's to me well, when i can do that i have a much better relationship and i can take care of the patient much better so awesome love it thank you dr buck cool man hey, man thank you we'll talk again soon man okay sounds good Hey podcast, thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I hope we brought you some practical, good advice that you can apply to your life. Guys, if you could please do us the favor of sharing this, telling people about it, leaving us a comment, subscribing, all that will help us grow and will help us spread our message. Also, if you'd like to support our podcast, you can go to our website and click support and it will help us grow this podcast and continue doing what we are doing and bringing you more high quality guests like the one you just heard. Thank you guys. Peace.